Hello, everyone, and welcome to Advice Around the World, co-hosted as always by me, Amelia Garland, and the sensational Ian Horn. Today, we are recording our first episode in Switzerland, where we are speaking to Sarah Genequan Miche, CEO of Lyra Wealth Management in Geneva. In this episode, we will be discussing how to run a multi-country business, Sarah's background and expertise in wealth planning and financial coaching, and her passion for helping women gain confidence and understanding of their finances. Sarah's book, Women Are Worth It, was released last year and shows her dedication to the subject. If you are ready to take charge of your investments, you should definitely read this book. Now, before I spoil her entire first chapter. Yeah, and before you do that, also sensational this week, Amelia. That is too kind again, but keep it coming. I, I always appreciate the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the acclaim that you give me at the of start course. of the Um, look, Sarah, uh, welcome to Advice Around the World. Uh, let, let's focus on you rather than sensational me. Um, we're, we're going to begin, as always, with our favourite opening question, which is, uh, we want you to imagine you're at a dinner party and the person next to you has asked you to tell them something interesting about yourself, but obviously not related to financial advice. I'm afraid we close that stuff off. What is the interesting thing that you tell that person? Um, well, I would probably talk about music because <laughs> I, I I don't play music, but I love music and I love uh uh, rock and roll and, and heavy metal music. So that's basically one of my hobbies, going to concert and um, listening to music. Love that. So who's your favorite band, Sarah? Uh, it's difficult to pick one, but I love the old style, like um, ACDC, Alice Cooper, Iron Maiden, uh, Marlon Manson, those type of things. Now, also, I don't know if you guys know, it's Rammstein, it's a, a German band. So that's yeah. the type that I like. Oh, no way. Okay, that is not a financial advisor answer, is it? That's just not something we hear very often. Um, although I do think um, the Back in Black album has got me through a few uh, uh, cookery hours at home during lockdown. So I've got some time for that. No kidding. It's <laughs> amazing. Highway to Hell, You Shook Me All Night Long. Those are some, those are some favorites over here. Too. Yes, yes. But as much as I would love to hear more about your rock and roll taste, uh, we're going uh, to jump a bit into um, Lyra Wealth Management. And we'd love to hear more about the firm. And I understand you are based in Switzerland. Your partner is in Sweden and you have German presence too. Uh, so what are the benefits of having a multi-country business? And what has that been like to run, um, especially during these times? So the way it's set up, um, uh, it started out in Geneva. Uh, about what 12 years ago and uh, there are three partners Trevor Alex and myself um, so and we started the business in, here in Geneva right and then um, a couple of years ago what about five or six years ago Alex decided to move to Sweden for personal reason he married a Swedish uh, um, woman and so he moved there and then he decided to um uh, set up the business there as well because of uh, increased regulation he was not allowed to you know, run the, or to do anything related to the Geneva business based in, um, in the Sweden because of cross-border policies. So that's how basically the business startup in, in Sweden. It wasn't a strategic move. It was only because of a, a personal reason. But uh, both, be, and then we've uh, kind of partnered up with uh, Marcus, uh, in Germany, he's got his own business, and um, from we're only sharing, um, you know, uh, best practices and uh, the website and things like that because uh, of the different regulation in each country. It 
it's, you cannot run the business the same way from an operational point of view. But from a, a client experience point of view and from the type of investment that we do, from the type of uh, advice that we give or the financial planning, all of this we share uh, within the three countries. Mm-hmm. And is the planning process notably different in those countries or, or do you give very similar advice, you know, regardless of where you are? No, I mean, the planning process is a bit different in each country just because when we take it, we, I mean, we, when we do the planning, there are a few things that we take into account. We will, uh, of course, look, look at the financial assets and the wealth, but we will also look at insurance or pension fund or uh, succession planning or, you know, any type of legal um, requirement that you may have when you transmit uh, wealth from one generation to another. So basically those, I mean, like insurance or pension fund are very different in all those countries. I'm, I don't know anything about Germany or Sweden. I'm, I know a lot about uh, Swiss, but uh, I, so, I mean, we will take this into account when we do the financial plan, but of course the solution or the option are different in Switzerland and Sweden, just because it's different country and the regulations are different. Gotcha. Um, and the clients generally have the same needs as well. I, I assume it's similar financial planning goals and aims across all countries. Yeah, I mean, because the goals are personal goals, right? It's mm. about the human person. So, I mean, whether you're a Swedish or a Swiss person, I guess you do have, there are similar, similarities in goals, such as like wanting uh, to be able to maintain your lifestyle when you retire or you know, providing studies for your children, or I don't know, there are, there could be some similarities. One thing I, I want to mention is um, in Sweden, we serve maybe 50% of our clients are Swiss based. I mean, people's uh, resident in Switzerland, but the other 50% are very international. We've got European living in South America. We've got, um, you know, a, a Swedish living in Portugal, or we've got Portuguese living in the UK. So, it, we serve a very international and that's where in Geneva, it's really easy for us to reach out to experts in those countries. Like, you know, for our Portuguese client, we will uh, get in touch with Portuguese uh, tax expert or uh, law firms because we don't have the knowledge mm-hmm. in-house. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. So being in Switzerland too, right? There's a huge banking presence there. Um, do you have a presence amongst the banks or has that been a competition at all for you with the firm in terms of bringing on new business at all? Um, okay, one thing, uh, the, you talk about Switzerland, but I want to tell you about Geneva, the way it is here is in Geneva, everyone, everyone, there's a lot of people with, with a lot of money. We agree, mm-hmm. but everyone has somebody in their family that works in a bank, yeah. you know, or they know like they have a best friend or a cousin or so everyone is linked to the private banking. So as you say, the competition is very harsh. And there is one thing is the way we, we do our, um, uh, we lo- the investment philosophy we have here at Lyra is very different than what the private banking are doing here. Um, you guys based in the, in the US or in the UK, you're probably more familiar with this, but what we do here is only passive investment strategies and 
in Geneva, everyone is talking about uh, alpha and active. And, mm -hmm. and so we are the only one, basically, we've been doing this for over 10 years. And we feel very lonely because nobody else does, does it, right? Um, and it's really hard to compete when we, when we meet prospects and they say, hey, yeah, it's my cousin or it's my father or it's my brother who takes care of my account in this bank then it's very difficult to come, to, you know, come in and have to compete with somebody they are emotionally linked to. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, and your, yeah. your firm seems to have a lot in common with, with a number of, of uh, UK-based financial planning firms. And I assume the same with a number of American RIA firms too. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and one thing that I found interesting going on your website was the, the stated focus on, on coaching clients uh, to achieve their goals. Uh, so one thing I wanted to look at, because we, we've discussed on the podcast before, you know, financial planning and coaching and, and what the difference between them is and, and the rest. But, you know, I, I was intrigued by the comment when you say people need a coach, not a guru. Um, so, so what is it that makes you you say that? Um, OK, what we meant by that is um, here when people think about bankers or financial advisor, mm. they kind of have what we call it's a. It's this white blouse syndrome that you can have when you go to the doctor. I don't know if that translates in English, but basically where you kind of look at the private banker or your doctor and you think that he knows it all and he's got all the knowledge and, you know, you, mm -hmm. like you're just, you, you don't understand nothing about finance and then you're going to just basically hand over the reign of your financial life to them. And we believe that I mean, it's not we believe, we only want clients that are ready to take their responsibility and take their financial life into their hands. I mean, we're saying you, you should not just, um, you know, delegate to us because we're a financial advisor and maybe, I mean, we do know more in terms of technicalities, but you should be able to control what we're doing. And one uh, uh, image that I use a lot and that works well is about the, it's having a, a, a dashboard. Like, you know, when you drive your car, you, mm -hmm. you may not know how the motor function or you don't know how to fix it and all the technicalities of running the car, but you know how to read your dashboard. You know, if you're going too fast, if you need to check the oil or change um, or, or put more gas in there. So how come when it comes to your financial life, you're just basically just handing over the rain to your banker or your financial advisor. You should regain some kind of responsibility and be able to control what's going on. Is the person doing a good job or not? And that's what we meant by the guru and the coach is your coach is helping you, guiding you into your financial life, while the guru is just telling you, do this. And you're just going to do it without even thinking or whether is this a good advice or not. Yeah. And, and as, a, as a coach, you know, a financial coach, what do you think the most important things are? And also what things do people not think about? What are the common mistakes people make with their money? Well, I think one thing, the first thing that comes to my mind is a bit of a, the, I would call it the lack of discipline, uh, of following your emotion. And I think that's very human. It's normal. Um, you know, when everything goes bankrupt or crash, you want to sell because you want to cut off your loss. And that's where we say, no, you should not do it. We've, we've set up a plan according to your objective. And the plan takes into account whatever is going to happen in the market. It will go, markets will crash and they will recover. And that's why you need to, to be disciplined and patient and make sure that you don't, you take the appropriate um, uh, level of risk. 
So just to give you an example, especially last year, because with the, the COVID, as you would expect in March, you know, everything pumps down. And some of my clients I call and I'm like, uh, how do you feel? And the ones that we have for a long time, they're basically like, I don't want to even talk to you before the end of this year, before the COVID is over, because markets are going to be nonsense until then. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. we've done a good job. <laughs> you, want, you understood. You <laughs> yeah. should not. I mean, when everyone is going crazy, you should not take any action. You should stick to your plan. And that's why by removing any emotional decision from your financial decision, that's where you're going to make sure you achieve your objective. For me, it's easier to uh, tell you as my client, um, do this or do that because I'm not emotionally linked to your money. I'm emotionally linked to my money. And that's why I have my own coach. Because, you know, it's about walking the talk. I mean, I need to walk the talk and I need somebody to help me with my money as well. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, whenever, you know, market goes down or even when they go up, you want to you get greedy and you want to change your plan. Thinking, yeah, I know I'm going to try to time the market. I'm going to try to do this. And that's when you make the most mistake. Mm-hmm. So I guess that would be my, my advice. Try to be as rational as possible when it comes to your money and not emotional. Yeah. And I loved your point too, about giving people control over their finances, educating them to do so. Um, because yeah. I think that is, that is a really important difference. And, and on that topic, I mean, that's a big theme for your book, which we have to jump into women are worth it. Um, so tell us a bit about when your passion began on bringing more women to the table and, and getting um, women more educated in finance, what, it, what inspired the book and your interest. Um, so actually it was something negative that inspired me a couple of things, but there was two things. One thing is I kept going to, um, parties or wedding and meeting people. And they were, you know, when you meet somebody, first thing they ask you is like, I mean, a couple of questions is like, are you single? Are you not? Do you have kids? And what do you do? And every time somebody was asking me, what do you, do you do? I was dreading for this question because then I was like, I'm in the financial industry. And then people were kind of looking at me, not asking more questions. And I had this feeling that, you know, they were like, oh, too bad. She sounds to be a nice person until, you know, she, she talked about being in the financial world. That's kind of this negative image that the financial world have, has. Mm-hmm. So I was really getting um, sick and tired <laughs> of this. And I wanted to change the, the image that people had. Not only women. I mean, it's a general thing is especially here, I don't know how it is in, in other countries, but whenever you say I'm, I'm working in the financial world, you're like kind of the boring person or, or I don't know, there is this negative sentiment. And I wanted to change it, say, hey, it's not because we work in finance that, you know, we're only interested about your money. You know, it's, yeah. that's not what it is about. So I wanted to change this um, negative image. And then the other thing was... Um, that uh, with Lyra, we have a minimum of $2 million uh, under management for people to become clients. And I had more and more people. It started out with you know, my, my mom's friends and some other friends. They came up to me and say, hey, I have some money in my bank account. Can you help me? And I would just say, hey, let's go and we'll have lunch and I'll give you a couple of tips and help you with your financial plan. But then I start to be very um, frustrated that I could not help people that have less wealth. Well, you know, those were the people that needed most of the 
advice in a way. Um, and that's when I came to the idea of the book. I was talking with my partner, Clever, and he's like, why don't you write a book about it? Because then, you know, it's easier. It's how you transmit your knowledge. It's how you share it. It's kind of your contribution to the world in, in, a, in a larger place. So, um, and it, it, it's kind of all fall into pieces, you know, how, how the stars are all aligned. So I had those frustration. And at the same time, I was doing, doing this coaching that um, uh, trying to align my, uh, my work more with my values. And mm -hmm. one thing is I wanted to be able to, uh, you know, kind of participate, give back to the world, everything I've received. So I thought, well, the book is a perfect project to do this because uh, I will share my knowledge. I will make sure all the benefits of the book are being, um, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, given to a charitable organization. So I have no economic link to it. Um, and I just wanted to really uh, empower women and help them with education. So that's, that was the idea behind the book. Yeah. Sorry, it was a long answer. <laughs> It, it was, but it was a good one, and you—it was—it was so good. You—you you answered most of my next question for you, Sarah. So it's definitely a good answer. Um, but, but to build on what you've said, you know, culture is clearly important here, isn't it? When we think about how people perceive financial services as being, you know, male-dominated, stuffy, or whatever people might want to say it is. So, how do you think we we change the culture of financial services? What's what's the key to making it more inclusive? I think first, it's something that everyone has to uh, pitch in. It's not uh, uh, a burden of, for, for women or for men separately. It's a, it's a teamwork um, because at, uh, the, I think it's a teamwork first and then also it's a personal work because women need to also believe that they are able to do this and they need to get themselves interested into the subject. But the fact is also we have this... Uh, I call in, in the book, I call it the financial myth, you know, kind of as if you need to have an MBA in finance to be able to um, manage your portfolio. And really when I, uh, I talked about the, the coaching and about educating, I'm not saying that I'm going to sit with my clients and, you know, tell them what's, what's a fund, what's a share, what's market timing. That's not what it is. I'm just trying to give them some, um, uh, I would say, um, uh, intuitive tips, you know, about right. money. And there are things like, I mean, if you want to have more in your pocket, just make sure that your fees are low. Ask questions about your fees. Those are the, you know, and when I tell that, people are like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. It's common sense. But then tend to forget when it comes to finance, just because I think also the financial world had made sure to complicate things, to overcomplicate things, to so that you know, they feel they are adding value. But I do really believe that financial advice is not about overcomplicating things. It's about making things available to everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to remove, I mean, I don't believe that I can be jobless. I'm, I still add values, you know, to my client with my knowledge. It's not because I'm sharing some of it that I'm going to have less value with them. Mm -hmm. It's funny because finance is actually quite interesting. I think when, when people get into it, people do actually want to talk about it. But the initial assumption is it's going to be boring. So yeah. what, what do you think is the best way to engage people and to get people really thinking about their money? Hmm. Well, the way I do it, I'm not sure it's the best way, but there are two things. 
I don't know if you've seen the book, but in the book, there is lots of drawing as well. So I try to make it, um, <laughs> you know, visually attractive. But I think uh, the first thing I would say to people is say, it's not about how much money you have or the money in itself. It's about money being a tool for you to achieve things in life and linking money to something that is important to you as a person. And then it becomes interesting because, you know, okay, maybe talking about going to, to see your, your financial advisor is not like the, the highlight of your, of your week. But at the same time, if you go there and then it's going to allow you to go on holiday or to pay for your children's studies or to retire well, then it's going to make it worth your while because then you link it to something that is personal and important to you as a person. Yeah. And one last thing on, on the book, because uh, I noticed, uh, you know, reading the uh, synopsis for it, uh, you point out that women have been shown to be better investors than men. And I think that's something that we have to look at. I mean, just, just so you know, Sarah, I made some serious alpha on Dogecoin a couple of weeks back. So you're speaking to a pro, but, um, but you know, why, why are other men so bad at this? So uh, uh, there are a couple of, of uh, there's more and more studies first showing that um, women who actually do take finance into their hands, they yeah. make better um they have better performance. That's one thing. I'm not saying it aloud. I, I, I do have those sources. But what I, the way I, um, I analyze this, if you'd like, there is one thing is um, what makes you be a successful investor is more about your behavior than about, you know, uh, your financial background. And it seems when you look at women and, and men and you, this is an overgeneralization, right? We all have men and wo men, woman side in each of us, right? But basically, um, when you look at women, it seems that they have a natural behavior that is um, more aligned to what you should have to, to, to have better performance. And one of the, the, the examples that I could give you here is... Um, in general, men have more testosterone than women. And what does it make them do is it makes them uh, being more competitive. <laughs> <Nothing sensible>. right? <laughs> right? No, yeah. they are being more competitive. And what it is, it's all about the performance. So they are buying and selling and they're, you know, all the time and they are doing much more turnover on their portfolios. And that has two, two effects. First, it increased the fees, right? Mm -hmm. And second, it increased the likelihood of, the of them making a mistake. While when women invest, they kind of invest and they do more buy and hold and they, they invest for an objective, for something, you know, they, they will say, hey, I'm going to invest again for my children's studies and then they stick to the plan. So they are much more disciplined. And basically, at the end of the day, it pays off. Because the more turnover that you have, the more mistake you make and the more transaction you have. So that gives you some uh, some insight as off to what, why. Yeah, that, that sounds all too correct, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not just saying it. There is a lot of other people saying it. It's not like I've done all the studies, but... Um, it's a great point. And sorry, Ian, I have to agree with Sarah on this theory. We are better investors than you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, never mind. But That's Ian, you know... in this, am I? <laughs> no, but there are men that are investing more of the female way. And that's funny because, you know, I, my two associates are men. So a lot of people tell me like, 
So what does it mean? Is that you're better than your associate? And I say, no, that's what I mean. Not that what I mean, but what I mean is the, there is a philosophy that ensures that you have better reward and better performance than other. And, you know, a lot of studies have shown this in the past. So all you need to do is invest with a female kind of behavior. And then, you'll, you know, less transaction, less fees, more diversification, and you'll probably be in the, on, the, on the good side. Mm-hmm. Take some tips from us, Ian. Is what is what you're trying to say. Scribbling <laughs> yeah. notes down as we speak. Don't you worry. <laughs> you can learn. We we have to mention, of course, our our great connector, Katie Cullen, who who brought um, brought you to our attention. And she mentioned to us you're a part of a lot of study groups with business leaders like herself. So I'd love to know um, what the benefit of these groups are for you, and and what you have learned from your peers over the years um, in this industry, um, because I think you definitely can teach them a lot and um, perhaps they have done the same for you too. Yeah, so um, in the study groups that we, we have, and one of them even became an association, but in that association, what's interesting is uh, even though uh, we're probably the smallest firm there, it's great to be able to share best practice and to know, you know more about the client's experience that they have in different countries. One thing I would say that we're being unable to do is share all the operation, operation, what I mean, just because our regulation are so much different, but it's interesting to see them also how they are growing their business and how do they um, uh, manage on the, like, on the human resources side of things, on the, on, client relationship, things like that. So it's very interesting to be able to exchange and kind of piggy bang and takes ID from one side, from, you know, one ID there, another ID somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing uh, when you are in a, a, a financial advisor like us is we're very lonely, as I said before, because we're, our competitors are the big banks, right? So it's really difficult to compete in, in a world like this. And a lot of Time clients also ask, they say, yeah, but what if something happens to you? So to be able to be part of a big group like this Gaia Association is great because then we can say, hey, if something happens to us, you can always go and um, talk with other people that work the same way that, as we do. I mean, if you have a, an account with JP Morgan, uh, JP Morgan is all over the world. So it's very easy to, for you to move from one country to another or to move from one advisor to another which is not the case when you work with a smaller firm like us. So it's great to be able to be part of this bigger group, to share ideas, to brainstorm together, but then at the same time to be able to, to send clients from one part of the world to another. Like one of our clients a couple of years ago moved to the U.S. and we don't have the, um, the license to serve U.S. clients. So it was great to be able to... Um, send them through another advisor that we knew. Sarah, I could keep talking to you for ages. I really could, but yeah. we're, we're low on time. Uh, so you, you've heard the podcast before. You know the final question by now, I assume, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just for anyone who's tuning in for the first time. Um, imagine right now we've got the whole international financial plan community listening, and you've got one piece of advice that you can offer them on how to be better planners or, or run a better business. What's your piece of advice? Um, I think my piece of advice there for both questions would be, in one word, simplify. Uh, we live in a world where everything is becoming more, more and complicated. And I think if you can simplify uh, the way you are giving your advice 
to your client or simplify the way you're running your business, especially in those time of increasing regulation, trying to make it the, every time you try to find a solution, make it the most simple way, because I believe that's what's going to make it um, easier. And usually it's the best option. I couldn't agree more. That is a great way to put it. Stop <laughs> overcomplicating. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> really. I do think, and yeah, I really do think is you don't have to complicate things when they can be simple. And a lot of time when I talk to clients and they don't understand something and then I, I try to explain it as if they were in a way my kids, you know, because they don't have the same, they don't all have the same background that I have. And it's great because then they are, they, they understand. Mm -hmm. And then they go away with something that they can repeat that is easily repeatable. And, uh, and they feel confident. So then next time they come, we can go to the next level and go further into the discussion. Mm -hmm. So make things simple. <laughs> and if you can explain what you do to a, to a child, to a 10 year old, then I think you're doing your job right. Yes, <laughs> well. That's about the age of my children. So um, the little one, he's five, and he was asking me, and I said, well, I make sure that the, the people manage their money the best way so they can do things they like. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, for example, so they make sure they can go on holiday. So the kid, my, <laughs> my son kind of repeated it kind of straight saying, yeah, my mom is helping her client go on holiday. <laughs> but it works. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Sarah, thank you so much yeah, for joining you. us and, and giving us insights into the Swiss market and sharing your, your many passions. So. For everyone who's listened in, thanks for sticking with us. And we'll be back shortly with the next episode.